It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. Brian, great to be with you this week. How you been? Uh, doing great, Walter. How about you? Yeah, doing well. I'm, I'm glad we were able, we actually, you know, behind the scenes look, folks, we had to reschedule our recording of today's show because uh, it was kind of funny, Brian, we had AT&T working on their lines and then they accidentally cut the Spectrum line. Oh, but gosh. what's funny is Spectrum cut AT&T's line the week before. So us in the neighborhood, as we're all working from home these days, had to, uh, we're, we're in the middle of this battle between cable companies cutting our internet and, uh, and phone and cable lines. So, so is on this days. conspiracy theory uh, spectrum, is, is this a coincidental accident or is this some sabotage? I think that the first one might have been accidental, but seeing as how the uh, the second batch of guys just sort of took a uh, excavator and just ripped up all the cables that were in the ground and some plants and some bushes that were on the corner of the street, I kind of feel like they weren't really trying very hard to miss any other cables that might be down there. So I, th- I think we're caught in the midst of this big conspiracy. Big, big cable, just trying to <laughs> duke it out at the local level, I guess. Well, we've got a great show on the way for you today. Our uh, topic today, I think, is going to be a little bit interesting, and I'm looking forward to uh, kind of the, the teaser that you sent me to begin today's show with, Brian. We're talking about the accumulated advantage, which I'm interested in learning more about, mm-hmm. and the Matthew effect. Are we talking about the book of Matthew here? We, we are talking about the book of Matthew, and I hope you are prepared because I'm going to preach today. Oh, I love it. Some some financial preaching is on tap. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're going biblical today. There's there's a lot of good uh, lessons in there, and I'm no uh, skilled theologian or, or preacher, but uh, we are going to start there because a topic, uh, or as it ties in, is a phenomenon called the Pareto distribution or the Pareto principle. And I don't know if you've heard of that before, if that rings a bell somewhere. I, I, just because I see it in the notes, the the eighty twenty. I've heard of eighty twenty before. Is that is that the the relation here? And Pareto is P A R E T O, right? Correct, correct. And so yeah. it's it's a mathematical distribution. And, and if you think of a normal bell curve, normal distribution, there's a, a lot of people that are in the middle that are average, and then you've got these long tails with with fewer and fewer people out at the extremes. The Pareto is uh, quite opposite. You have a very high concentration of in our case, we'll talk about wealth or, or resources or whatever, uh, in a, the hands of very few, and then it tapers off, and then there's a very, very long tail of people with without. And so where you hear this used is 80% of the results are derived from 20% of your efforts. If you look at businesses, 80% of profits tend to come from 20% of customers. 80% of wealth is held by about 20% of the population. And and that's there. There's a lot of that talk today with inequality and inequity and this this un, unbalance that you tend to see, but this also is applied to and can be applied to non-business, non-financial areas, uh, such as twenty percent of stars have all of the mass in the universe. Twenty percent of cities contain eighty percent of the population. 
it, it, it's a bit of a natural law. And it's, it's, if you think about stars, you know, the bigger they get, the more gravitational pull they have and the more matter they suck in. And they tend to get bigger. And those that are smaller and, and lesser either don't attract and, and grow their mass. Uh, but nobody is calling for equity and equal distribution amongst planetary objects uh, nobody's asking for people to equally move around and dis- distribute to different cities. It, it, this is a phenomenon that just occurs everywhere you go. And I'll get back to the preaching here in just a minute, but I was trying to explain this concept to my, I think she was then 13-year-old daughter, Hannah. And I was trying to make the point that across populations, this wealth distribution is unequal it it is skewed and but the fact is it applies to all segments of the population so what I, what we did was we took the Forbes 400 list and we pulled off the top names or celebrities uh in different categories and so for example uh if we say 80% of the wealth is held by 20% of the population well if you look at the subset of the ultra successful in basketball the top five basketball stars had an accumulated net worth of $2.5 billion. But a name you might know, Michael Jordan, accounted for 63% of that wealth. So he had more than the subsequent four largest basketball stars had combined. Interesting. Well, he was the greatest. Maybe it makes sense there. So we went on to entertainment. And we looked at the top five television talk show hosts, Oprah, Howard Stern, Ellen DeGeneres, Conan O'Brien, and Jimmy Kimmel. Oprah alone had 70% of the combined wealth of, that, of those wow. five celebrities. Those, those are big names, too. These are big names, yeah. And, and, and at the bottom end, poor old Jimmy Kimmel only had $35 million. Uh, Howard Stern had six hundred million, but Oprah had $2.7 billion <laughs> in net worth. And we went on to film directors, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, uh, Peter Jackson, and Michael Bay. Well, uh, George Lucas made up about half of that list. Uh, that. He and Steven Spielberg combined would have had uh, close to nine, nine billion of the 10 billion. And it even applies to supermodels. We have Giselle Bundchen, Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, Tyra Banks, and, and Kylie Jenner. I, I'm not quite sure why we came up with that list, but uh, the, the top two had 62% of the net worth with about 300 to 360 million each. And we did this with YouTube stars and uh, all, all kinds of different categories. But the one that I, I'm going to pick on a little bit here is university endowments. You hear a lot of calls today for equity and, and redistribution and, and access and opportunity. And a lot of that talk is coming from universities and academia and, and government and, and different aspects. But when I looked at the endowments that some of the top universities have, the top 50 universities, okay, and there's, there's thousands of them in the entire country, but the top 50 have $262,900,000,000 in endowment funds. Would you care to guess and I'm going to give you the top five names, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Princeton, and MIT. Would you care to guess what percentage of all of those endowment funds those top five possess? 
So of a quarter trillion dollars, basically, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the principal. I'll say 80%. <laughs> well, that's the, five out of 50 is 10%, but that 10% had 45%. And now if we add the next five, Columbia, Notre Dame, Northwestern, and Emory University uh, up, up the road in Atlanta, that's 61%. So 20% of the universities out there, of the, and this is just of the top universities, this is the top 50 endowments within that subset, 20% of those have 60% of the endowment funds. And it tapers off in, in like uh, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, uh, Princeton, and MIT have 118 billion, which is not quite half, but but getting close to half of as much as the, the remaining 45. So point being, th- this inequality and this disparity of distribution of, of wealth and resources exists, and it exists in money, and I think a lot of people uh, pick unfairly on that, but the principle actually, are you, are you familiar with in the book of Matthew, the uh, parable of, of the talents? Yeah. Okay. And so the the story basically goes a, a king or a ruler or whatever, depending on what translation of the Bible that you're looking at, was going away. And so he called on uh, three of his servants to manage or tend to his wealth. And, and I think the term talents in this particular story actually is a measure of maybe money or resources. It's not like a talent, like a skill, but he divided the talents, the, the resources amongst three servants where he gave five units to one person, two units to another, and one person to a third. And I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here because when I read this, it says to one, he gave five talents to another two, to another one. And it, it literally says to each according to his ability. That line jumped out at me because that sounds very familiar to something that Karl Marx said, but he changed one word. And the word is to, to from. So Karl Marx is famous for from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. So you have this 2,000-year-old truth got tweaked by one word and, and went from a you know, long-standing maybe observation or commentary on 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 the the order of things to really one of the most destructive doctrines on the on the planet. So interesting twist there. A lot of talk about Marxism these days. That that is an interesting aside. Yeah, I, I never never thought of the relation between the two. Yeah. So the, anyway, the, the the king goes away and he he comes back some time later, and the man who'd received five talents had done something productive with them and turned them into 10. The person who had two talents had done something productive and had double. But the person who'd received one talent, I think was fearful or scared of losing the money. He buried it, dug it, dug a hole and buried it and hid it. And and when the king comes back, the person who had received five talents said, here, I've produced five. And then you get the very famous line, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, uh, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And then the same thing with the individual that received two talents. He said, I've turned two into four. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Then 
the person who received the one talent said, you know, oh, I, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So it, it, there's an element of envy and, and fear. And I don't know, maybe, maybe the guy just, uh, he was um, you know, just being careful is possibility. He just didn't want to lose it. So he's being uh, on the conservative side. But he was afraid. And he said, I went and hid your money in the ground. So here is what you have back. And the, the master basically says, you know, you, you wicked, slothful servant. I mean, he's really harsh to him. He says, you, and he questions him. He says, oh, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I've, not, I've scattered no seed? Question mark. It's a question mark. He's asking a question. He says, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at least gotten me interest on the money. So he took the talent, the, the, the money from the individual, and he reallocated it to the person who had received five. And so here's this story. When the, fir- the first time I heard it, I thought, you know, that's kind of odd or, you know, this poor guy, he's just, he's just trying to not to lose the money and now he's going to have everything taken away. But I think there's an element there to the, the fact that if, if you are given resources and you have some skill or ability, I don't know what criteria he used to to allocate this. Maybe it was, maybe the first guy had a higher SAT score and the second one had a good GPA, whatever the case may be. But uh, the the point is, is we end up with this harsh inequality. And, and the problem is we don't really know what to do about it. And this, this story is interesting because it, it really highlights this phenomenon that we keep seeing today in wealth, in capability and success in school. Uh, you, you just see it over and over. So I'm going to talk about how they've applied this principle to psychology and to education systems, social, governmental programs. And uh, even, of course, my standby, Malcolm Gladwell, has some some interesting anecdotes to this that I think are worth mentioning. And a researcher, I think the last name was Rosenstein, he did a an experiment where he went into an elementary school class and he, he administered an aptitude test. And then when the results came back, he set aside the results and he just randomly selected 20% of the kids and told the teachers, he said, these kids are, they're, they're gifted. They're above average aptitude. These are, these kids are going to really excel. And so he let the teachers do their thing for the year, and he came back a year later and then tested the kids again. And the 20% that he had told the teachers would do better had performed what better. They'd gotten more attention. They, they really fawned over this 20%. But then he revealed that there really was, that was just an, a random pull of, of the students. There, he did not really take the ones who'd performed best on the aptitude test. So the point is, is if early on you can get in and have, begin to have a positive result, and if you can get kids on a successful pattern, that success compounds just like compounded interest and some of these things that we've talked about, starting early, getting some early successes, getting some investments made, accumulating to savings. So that it's interesting that this works in the academic realm. And then Malcolm Gladwell was the one that observed that the top performing hockey stars 
all had birthdays in January, February, and March. Really? He said, well, that's that's odd. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's, he's always coming up with a, an inter- interesting take on things. But the point was, was that the kids who were divided by grade level, the cutoff was January to December. And so the kids born in January, February, March were half a year to a year older than the kids born in October, November, December. And so what got mistaken for talent was actually just maturity. They, they were older, they were bigger, they had the physical advantage, and they actually did better. And so more resources flowed to those kids, and they ended up becoming the ones that were the you know, star athletes and, and the outperformers. So this is something that they've, like I said, they've, it gets a lot of attention and press around money. And I think it gets disparaged a lot uh, because of the unequal distribution. But when you apply it to other aspects, I mean, I can't tell you the number of stories that I have of clients that have accumulated, they've built wealth over time. Most of them have a story about a father or a grandfather or somebody that sat them down very early, helped them make initial investments, and you know they've they've got these stocks that they bought fifty years ago, sixty years ago, and you know they've grown into um, you know sub- substantial positions. Whereas clients who maybe don't do these things for their children or grandchildren, and they inherit a lump sum of money, and they haven't had those early lessons on on managing and handling money. A lot of those end up with the kind of a sudden wealth syndrome. They, they, they've got this sudden lump of money that they've not really learned how to manage over the years. So there's a lesson in there for charity, wealth transfer, and education and, and preparation of your children. Those are all separate uh, topics for another day. But anyway, this is the background and the, the phenomenon that's occurring. And so just to bring this all around full circle... Uh, I'm going to talk about how this is manifesting in the stock market and stock market indexes today. Well, we've covered every other possible angle in the world, from the Bible to hockey. <laughs> to, <laughs> to I got kids. some range today, don't I? We've got some range to YouTube stars. I mean, we covered we covered the full list. Uh, fascinating so far. Um, you know, you, you forgot to leave. Uh, I think you left out in the parable, by the way the uh, fantastic ending to it of there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, gnashing of teeth, always one of my favorite favorite phrases. Um, uh, hopefully we don't have a whole lot of gnashing of teeth at the end of today's podcast, and we'll get some clarity on things, Brian. So yes, I'm interested to see how this all now wraps back into the investment world, the the different effect and the tying into the, the parable of Matthew all into this. As this relates to investments, and stocks and market performance. In one of our previous podcasts, we talked about gamma and I, I talked about individual security selection was a bit of a, it was sort of a crapshoot and it was a zero sum game. If you got the winners, somebody else got the losers. And if you didn't have the winners, then you were not going to outperform the index. Well, it's not just 50-50, it's really skewed on this Pareto distribution so that a very few companies are prospering, growing. They're, they're that large star that's attracting the mass of, of the other debris floating around the galaxy. And they're getting the momentum and they're getting the growth and they're get, getting the scale and size 
to the point where today there are six tech stocks that make up 50% of the value of the NASDAQ 100. So that's 5% makes up half the value. And if you took that list on down to you know, the, the top 10 or, or 20 stocks, you'd probably get to that, you know, a lot closer to that 80-20 distribution that we're talking about. So what's the, what's the risk or the problem of that is you are getting, when you buy an index fund, or if you want to invest in those top names, if you're going into the market today, you are literally buying the most expensive, the most high-priced, highest performers in the market. And so if you're in a situation where there's a market bubble, you're potentially buying at the top and you're getting concentrated into these names that might well be the most overpriced of the bunch. And a recent example, I I saw the headlines the other day, it looked like they were on the verge or are in the process of adding Tesla to the S&P 500. Well, if you own the S&P 500 index fund, well, you're going to get a chunk of Tesla. But guess what? You're getting it at its all-time high. You didn't get it when it was at $100 a share. You're getting it when it's at $1,500 a share. So there's some risk to getting the best stuff once it's already run up and and become the out and has been the outperformer. The flip side is it's so hard to predict which companies are going to be the outperformers it still ends up working that that you know, index funds work because you do end up getting the, uh, and then let me back up here just a second. Index funds are typically weighted by the size of the company. So the larger the company's market capitalization, the more of it will be in the S&P 500 index fund, right? So you're, if your market cap is a trillion dollars, you're going to be represented, you know, at a factor of 10 times the the company that's, you know, $100 billion. It, it's just it, that, that's just the weighting, without getting into the math of weighted averages, that, that's basically how it works. Well, if you look at the rotation of stocks in and out of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, today there are 30 stocks in the Dow, Dow Jones Industrial Average. Well, if you had bought that Years ago, you, you, the, the Dow has done you know, relatively well over time. But let me throw some names at you, uh, Walter. Do you, do you remember uh, Manville? Manville? Inco? No. Navistar International? National nope. Distillers? Esmark and Corn Products? No. Nope. How about Sears and Roebuck? Okay, that one I remember. Okay, so now we're, now we're hitting. <laughs> the, these are all companies that have been in or and were replaced out of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Sears and Roebuck was replaced with Home Depot. And Woolworths, remember Woolworths, Shirley? You probably had a fountain drink there or a milkshake at the, at the counter of the Woolworths. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories of the Woolworths. They got replaced by Walmart <laughs> in, in 1997. So the, the point being is, is you're going to have... A lot of losers, a lot of companies that have reached their peak and they're, they sort of die out, but they're getting replaced with these new companies that, that merge in and, and be, become the industry leaders. But that rotation changes all the time. And they're real, unless you really have a good crystal ball or want to try and pick you know, who those winners are going to be, it's a kind of a, there's a love-hate relationship with these 
indexes because you're getting these bad elements of it combined with the fact that, well, they actually work pretty well and most people don't don't outperform them in the long run anyway. So there's still diversification there, but it sounds like maybe not as much as we may think we're getting because there's so much distribution to these top performers still. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I mean, those, those top performers are performing. They're compared to the uh, dot-com bubble of the late 90s. If you look at Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, the, the big companies that were getting grilled on Capitol Hill the other day for monopolistic uh, tendencies or uh, too much power to be, to be able to censor and and restrict you know people being able to get their messages out. There's all kinds of political aspects to this. But anytime the government gets involved with trying to pick uh, and identify monopolies, it didn't work with AT&T back in the 80s. It didn't really bode well for Microsoft back in the late 90s. That I think that's just more politics and, uh, again, going back to that element of envy. But, you know, are those companies going to remain dominant? Some will, some won't. But when you buy the index, uh, you're getting a little bit of of all of those. So uh, to bring that all around, you know, when we talked the other day about the Greek letter, Greek alphabet concept of gamma, if you can't beat the index, if you're just going to be the index, or maybe you want to try and pick some of these individual stocks that are going to be the you know top 20% uh, performers that are going to generate 80% of the results. If you can pick those, man, have at it. But if you can't, there is hope. There are five different things, and we've, we enumerated those previously, but there are five different areas where you can actually enhance your return, get better results. A lot of it revolves around tax. Some of it revolves around risk management. And uh, like I said, we I don't want to repeat that that whole subject here, but there are a number of ways that you can enhance your return and not have to try to pick which, you know, five or, or 10% of these companies are going to be the absolute winners over time. So we've got a, a process in place and a system to do that and some, some resources around that for those who are interested. There's much gnashing of teeth over trying to pick the next Tesla the next, you know, hot stock that's out there. That's and you're where saying the we can live without comes that. in. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's uh, that's excellent. Um, well, I think that this makes a lot of sense, and uh, really, it was a direction I did not see coming on today's show. I appreciate you bringing this up, Brian, because this was kind of quite the journey to go through talking about all these different moving parts and all these elements. You mentioned that there's the process that that deals with this, that walks people through this. Can you talk about it for any new listeners that we may have on the show today who don't quite understand what the planning process looks like or what it's like to work with an advisor who's going to walk somebody through all these things to consider? Yeah, well, we, we've really broken it into four categories, personal, portfolio, programs, and protections. And it worked well to alliterate it that way on the on the P's, but it's really about setting goals, finding out if you're in agreement with your spouse and what you're trying to accomplish and where you're going, looking at your portfolio. A lot of those optimization things that I talked about have to do with getting the right things in the right place with your portfolio, uh, making sure you're getting the right kinds of dividends, making sure you're taking the right amounts of risk. And then uh, how are you going to interface with all of the programs that we're exposed to? Medicare, Social Security claiming, taxes, IRA distribution rules, estate planning, wills and documents. All of those are, are programs that we're operating within and you need to maximize the benefit. And then ultimately the protections. If you need any emergency funds or 
funding strategies for things that could go wrong in the future. We've, we've got a whole segment de- uh, dedicated to protections and things that you can do to mitigate risk. So that that four-step process there is what we take our clients through. And, you know, we, we can't, certainly can't guarantee that you're going to be in the uh, outperforming group. But if you apply these concepts, you will increase your likelihood that you will generate outsized returns. There's uh, academic research to, to back this up. Happy to share it with people. But um, anyway, that's that's how we do it. It's the four P's, and they are personal portfolio programs and protections. If you would like to talk about getting a financial plan in place, having a look at your current financial situation, we can do that right now via a call or a virtual meeting, uh, not meeting in person at the moment due to coronavirus concerns and all of those kinds of things, of course. We want you to be safe and protected. So we'll leverage uh, the the internet and the power of technology to have a phone call with you, or you can schedule a time to meet for a virtual visit as well to talk about your portfolio. You can still do planning remotely, and uh, that's important to remember. You don't have to be paralyzed financially just because uh, the rest of the world has come to a stop in many other ways. No, so if you'd no, like no. To s- <laughs> Fear not. We, we are well that's equipped right. to, to handle the virtual. So uh, join, uh, go to meeting, Zoom. Uh, we're, we're making contact with a lot of people around the country, and they're finding out that the capability and the skill is not as hard to uh, acquire as, as maybe they thought before the coronavirus forced us into this. Living Worth Wealth Advisors still rolling along at full steam, that's for sure. So here are the two ways that you can uh, schedule that time to chat. 706-451-9800 is the number to call. That's 706-451-9800. Or you can go online to livingworth.com. That's livingworth.com. And you'll see the opportunity there on the page to schedule a time to meet with Brian. And you can schedule it from your smartphone or computer. That's at livingworth.com. And we'll put the contact info and ways to schedule those times to meet in the description of today's show. So it's easy for you to find and access. Well, Brian, thank you so much for the help and the guidance on today's show. Enjoyed the conversation with you. And we'll have another episode on tap next time. Sounds great, Walter. Have a great day. You too. That's Brian Doe. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Doe Rise. Make the Doe Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.